This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. Well, as you heard in Bob's news, Toronto's Medical Officer of Health has strengthened the measures already in place to combat COVID-19. She's ordering all individuals with the virus to remain at home for 14 days and also ordering close contacts of people with the virus to self-isolate for 14 days. Now, frankly, I'm not sure exactly how this is different from previous measures, except maybe now there is an emergency law behind it. Uh, and she's also recommended recommending, quote, in the strongest possible terms that all Torontonians remain in their homes, except for medical appointments to shop for groceries no more than once a week and to walk dogs or get exercise and exercise daily is in there. And speaking of grocery shopping, there are a lot of questions about how to disinfect some of the things you bring home and how are you doing with all of this emotionally as well as the physical challenge of just getting what you need? The numbers to call because we have experts to answer your questions, take your comments, 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And now I am joined by Dr. Andrew Morris, an infectious diseases specialist at Sinai Health System and University Health Network here in Toronto, as well as Margot Cameron, a nurse and clinical practice specialist at the Canadian Mental Health Association uh, in Windsor, Essex County. Thank you so much for being with us and welcome to you both. Thank you. Thanks so much. Dr. Morris, first of all, uh, what's different about what was announced today and, and uh, what was the case yesterday? Well, I think you uh, pointed out correctly that um, the chief, uh, the medical officer for Toronto, uh, Eileen Davila, just has a bit more strength uh, from a legal perspective uh, behind her uh, orders. Uh, it's really subtleties. I, I think practically speaking, uh, for everyone uh, in our city, um, the instructions are the same, which is stay home unless you absolutely have to. Um, it, it, it's interesting. I mean, um, we're learning or the thought is that a, a lot of the spread is because people, for instance, didn't self-isolate when they came back from certain locations and uh, or or didn't self-isolate if they came into contact with someone. Uh, do you agree with that analysis? I think it's really hard to know because we don't have all the data available to us. Um, and because not every citizen has been tested, it makes it very difficult for us to understand how the disease is being spread. What we do know is that if every single person on the planet were in self-isolation for 14 days, this disease would be gone very quickly. But we know that's not realistic. So what we need to try and do is ensure that people aren't passing their germs to anyone else. And I think the most prudent thing is for everyone to assume that they may have um, COVID infection where they don't have symptoms. And so 
any of their behaviors where there's a chance of passing them on to somebody else is a chance that they're passing COVID-19 on to somebody else. And that's going to make our situation worse. Okay, I'd like to bring in Margot Cameron. And Margot, thank you for being with us. You're welcome. Now, at least here in Toronto, uh, the medical officer of health said, uh, be prepared for this to last 12 weeks. So my question first off is, from a mental health point of view, uh, is it better that we are you know, getting ready for it to last 12 weeks? Or or is it worse when you think, oh, my God, 12 weeks? I don't know. I think actually it is better because it helps us to do something called cope ahead, where we um, have identified um, the crisis and we know what it's about. And then we can start to develop a plan for how we're going to cope for that length of time. Okay. Uh, so that's um, better then. Or does it depend on, you know, what your personality is like? Well, that absolutely plays a part because there are some individuals for whom more information actually increases their anxiety, while there are some individuals for whom um, the more information they have, the lower their level of anxiety. So, that's where I would say you have to know yourself and gauge how much information you actually need. That's interesting. Um, I want to take a call from Stan in Brantford. I'm about to click on it because it's interesting. Uh, it, the, his question is something that I was just reading about, and I was just reading a report, uh, and it had, uh, there was a, you know, a, a medical journal, and it was talking about, uh, young people and children and what kind of a part they played in spreading this around the globe. And, uh, so let's hear from Stan in Brantford. Hi, Stan. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you? Where, uh, we're isolating. We're over 70, uh, and we have other conditions. Uh, my question, uh, if you may help, focuses around grandparents and grandchildren. We have not seen our grandchildren in six weeks. We FaceTime with them. The reason we are not going there is because, of course, they have not been tested. Um, they're in a low-risk area at the present time by the fact that how, how few have been identified in this town. But uh, we're really hesitant to see them. We're not going to until we get more information, I guess. But, of course, down the line, when we start going back, people start going back to work. Grandparents are often used as uh, daycare providers. And I wonder if I'm making any sense, if you can help underst- uh, help us understand uh, the situation with children and uh transmitting the disease. I'm going to uh, uh, ask Dr. Andrew Morris, who's with us. And as I said, I just read something, and unfortunately, I don't have it at my fingertips. And it was from one of the medical journals, and it was saying that children were a factor in spreading the disease. Dr. Morris? Yeah, I think we have a real um, challenge uh, as it relates to um, not only children, but uh, their care. And the biggest problem is that children don't tend to show signs of infection, so they tend to be asymptomatic. And because of that, there's an assumption for people who aren't well-informed that because they don't have symptoms, uh, they don't necessarily need to be isolated 
It's okay for them to be playing with their friends who also don't have symptoms, or it's okay for um, <clears throat> grandparents or parents, in-laws, those kind of things, to, uh, for them to take care of them also. And the reality is that we know that uh, for all viral infections, children are very important uh, vectors for transmitting infection. And uh, for COVID, it's no different. How important it is, it's hard to quantify, but we know it's it's a, a substantial um, importance. So having children uh, mixing f- with people from a different household, whether it's grandparents uh, or other caregivers, it, it really doesn't matter. That risk is there, and the risk is that the relatively healthy, low-risk child who has infection is going to be transmitting it to somebody who's a higher risk. I don't have a great solution with the need for uh, caregivers, and uh, eventually we're going to have to figure out from a practical perspective how to address that. But in the short term, we really need to minimize um, um, cross, I'm going to use the word contamination, cross-contamination of different households. Uh, so I guess your advice to Stan is, uh, no, you shouldn't see your your grandkids in the flesh until this is all over? Phone, Skype, FaceTime, whatever you can. You know, what you can also do, which are, you know, um, has been shown, I think it was uh, um, Mel Brooks had uh, with his uh, son on a, a video that was popularized, is they can come see you, but you're on one side of a glass door and they're on the other side of a glass door. And so you're not making any uh, contact where there's risk, but you can at least see them. But from a caregiving point of view, it's a it's not well adv- it's not advised. Stan, add one one quick question: How long do the let's say a child has it or somebody has it but not showing symptoms? How long can they can uh, how long is it that they can still contaminate? Yeah. Like down the line, six months, four months, three months, two weeks? Yeah, we we don't really know. It, it's certainly. Uh, the average is going to be somewhere between uh, two to three weeks, but we don't really have all that information yet. Thank you very much. Okay. Thanks for your call, Stan. Okay. Let's hear from Mike in Muskoka. Hello, Mike. Hi, Libby. Thank you to everybody that's surrounded at, at, at your station. You know, with all this terrible stuff that's going on, um, and, you know, not all news outlets, but some of them kind of sensationalizing the story. You guys are a calming, calming force. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart and my wife's. Um, thank you so much. I, I thank, really appreciate that. That's, that's very kind. And I just, uh, w- one thing that is a concern of a lot of our friends and family up here is that we can't reiterate enough that, you know, if you have a cottage up here that please, please stay at home because it's, it's, you know, even our mayors up here are saying we don't have the, the size for the grocery stores. We don't have the size for the hospitals, you know, and, and we all feel the same way that once we get, you know, this weather stays for a while, that 400 highway is just going to be like the Don Valley Parkway at, 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 at rush hour. Okay, or the 400 highway in cottage season. Yeah. Um, yeah, um, I, I think that the provincial orders might go some way to cover that, but I, I hear you, and, you know, people already started going to their cottages, you know, when the weather was crappy. 
Well, and all, we have some friends in, in New York City, and what they were saying, um, you know, a lot of the, the you know, the wealthier people um, were just packing up and leaving Florida and going to, or leaving New York and going to their vacation homes in Florida. Yeah. Um, so, well. Anyways, Libby, big, big virtual hug to you and everybody. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Mike. Okay, people, don't go to that cottage. We have been hearing that message from the Muskoka mayors. And uh, Dr. Morris, do you feel that with these measures, uh, you know, today Eileen Davila said that she thought our trajectory was uh, alarming. Before that, it looked like we were actually doing better than the United States. What's your view of that? I'm not exactly sure what alarming refers to. I think we are doing better than the United States. Uh, to be honest with you, and quite frank, it's hard to be doing worse than the United States. Um, <laughs> but in, term, in terms of uh, how well we're doing and how well we're going to be able to cope, especially how well will our health care system cope, I still don't think we know. It's uh, a, a challenge has been uh, getting all the data that we need to inform us. So we need not only Toronto data, um, because Dr. Davila did show us Toronto data, but we need um, Ontario and Canadian and Canada-wide data on uh, number of people infected, number of hospitalizations, number of people in intensive care units, and number of people on ventilations, in addition to, you know, all the demographic information, age and uh, and uh, gender for uh, those uh, all those patients. So we need to know this information, and it, we need to know it on a daily basis to help us understand the trajectory. At the moment, it's it certainly is not a massive surge right now, but uh, the way this disease uh, spreads in other jurisdictions, you have a very slow upslope, and then all of a sudden it goes like gangbusters, and it it, it becomes a, that, that whole exponential growth phenomenon. Uh, really t- uh, takes place, and that's what we're really worried about. In terms of testing, I've seen numbers, uh, not today, but yesterday, saying that Ontario is still behind even other provinces when it comes to testing. So how accurate is any sense of, of where we're at, and uh, you know, how backward-looking are the numbers? I mean, do the numbers show uh, really uh, how infections were spreading four days ago or a week ago? Or what do you, what do you know about that? Yeah, we, we, again, we really don't have a great uh, understanding. So for two major, re- well, three major reasons. One is there's a backlog on test results. So even the tests that are being done yesterday they're not all available either yesterday or today. So that's a problem. The second problem is that when they release the test results, they're not releasing the test results um, with the data based on when the test was ordered, rather when the test was reported. So it may look that like there's many more cases on one particular day, but we don't know uh, which day, because it's when it was tested, when that actually occurred. So it makes it very, very difficult to understand. And I think the third part of that is we are um, dissuading people in general to get tested as much as possible. So we're only capturing 
the people who are actually presenting and uh, to assessment centers or presenting to the uh, emergency department um, to um, to understand where whether they're infected or not. But that really doesn't reflect the overall burden of disease in the population. Margot Cameron, you know, uh, on here on this show, we've, we've talked a bit about things that people can do to uh, keep their spirits up uh, and to handle the emotions. And that's, you know, for people who are more or less fine. Otherwise, what about people who have pre-existing mental health difficulties? Well, that's an excellent question. I mean, certainly, I think as your caller just conveyed, um, you're performing such a wonderful public service. And I think of Mr. Fred Rogers, who said, everything that's mentionable is manageable. And I think because we are collectively experiencing this, and everyone is stressed and feeling uh, like the world is upside down, um, I think it helps for those who have a pre-existing mental health condition because it reduces some of the stigma. We're all in this together and we're all feeling a bit distressed as the news changes from day to day. But certainly someone who has a previous um, a condition of anxiety or depression, that's the time you want to make sure that you are um, validating how you're feeling, being self-compassionate, reflecting and and um, accepting your feelings as they are, because everything we're feeling is fine. And so eliminating any judgment for how you're feeling, reaching out to your sources of support rather than isolating, and whether those supports are family or friends or some uh, virtual online supports um, that are available in the community. Um, certainly CMHA has a wonderful program called Bounce Back that's for anyone 15 and over with issues with anxiety or low mood. Um, that would be really important. And then in terms of self-care, getting plenty of sleep, eating nutritiously, staying hydrated, um, you know, watching the news to get the updated information, but not overwhelming yourself um, with the news. And staying physically active, trying to plan each day a bit of play into your day and um, doing some activity that um, integrates the right and left side of your body because that helps for brain health and um, it just keeps you active and helps elevate your mood. Okay. Um Dr. Morris, here's a, here's a question that I have, and uh, it's with the grocery shopping, and I don't know exactly how much effort and, and what to try to disinfect when I come home with that huge shopping for the week. I mean, I've, I've stuck wipes over the plastic bags that I put the produce in, but, you know, I don't want to clean the produce with, with soap. Uh, fresh produce. Uh, so I put wipes over packaging, but you know, that's, that's about it. What do you recommend? Um, part of that is a difficult question because we don't have full information, um, about the, um, risk and contact with project. If you're asking particularly with produce, I think uh, if anyone who's ever traveled to developing countries or when we get produce in general, it's always advised to uh, thoroughly wash all produce, uh, peel where possible. So 
you know, unpeeled um, fruits and vegetables are um, definitely problematic um, without thorough washing. And that's because uh, germs, in this case viruses, can stay on the surface. And the more intricate the surface is, so things like, uh, you know, sprouts, lettuce, et cetera, and if people are handling them, it, you know, that um, introduces a, a risk of spread. But what's but, thorough washing? I mean, I, you know, wash it in water. Yeah, I, th- I think soaking and washing water, you know, it's really important to understand that what we're trying to do here is to um, dramatically risk reduce. And the risk that most people have is uh, contact of hands to infected um, uh, material, whether that's a doorknob or handle or a, um, a package or anything like that. We're, we're trying to avoid that. And then when your hand touches that, your hand goes to your mouth or eyes. So um, especially, you know, soon, a- soon after someone else has touched it. So what we're trying to do is reduce that risk. I would say that the risk of produce in general is going to be rather low, but the way to risk, reduce that substantially uh, even further is to uh, wash it uh, underwater um, and free-flowing water as much as possible. Um, yeah, okay. And um, Marco Cameron, uh, do you recommend things like meditation? We know exercise is very good for mood. What, what should people be doing cooped up in the house? Absolutely. Uh, so mindfulness or any meditation activities is terrific. And um, uh, doing some yoga would be excellent. Using music to calm your space. And there's a number of resources that are offering um, free resources on online um, in light of the pandemic. So um, some of the online meditation apps like Calm or Headspace offer things even for kids from four and up. Um, but just doing some um, mindfulness, watching your breathing, um, and some grounding activities. So if you find you're even getting distressed, saying to yourself, come back, come back, and just being present to yourself and thinking about what are three things I can hear, what are three things I can see, what are three things that I feel. So whether you may be hearing the clock on the wall or a car going by, Maybe in terms of what you're seeing, a table, a sign, someone walking by, feeling a chair underneath you or the feet on your, the floor under your feet, paying attention to your immediate surroundings to bring yourself back when you start to get overwhelmed is really key. Okay. Uh, let me give the numbers out again. We do have just a few more minutes left in this segment. 416-360-0740. Toll free 1-866-740-4740. And Dr. Morris, one question. We keep seeing new information about what the risks are for getting very severe disease. And so what I've seen so far, uh, older people and people who smoke, uh, people who have diabetes and people who are obese, is, is that the extent of the list as far as you know? Yeah, pretty well. It's important to realize that um, we only can report what people routinely ask and or, or record and um, are regularly measured. I think it's probably better to um, 
simplify it and say, if you are young and totally healthy, your risk is is not zero, but it's going to be relatively low of having severe disease. But as you get older and as you get other uh, chronic uh, medical illnesses or medical problems, such as lung disease, diabetes, um, you know, kidney disease, et cetera, all those things increase your chance of having both severe disease and a poor outcome with this. And, and Margot, uh, would you say that people who um, had pre-existing mental health conditions are, are more at risk during this, or is kind of anybody can uh, really have a problem in the current situation? Well, I would say that individuals with pre-existing mental health concerns, um, the potential uh, for the additional stress to trigger them um, can be a great concern, and they need to continue to take medication if they're on medication, continue to connect with their primary care or their um, professional supports that they might have on a regular basis, whether it's a therapist or social worker counselor. And um, But certainly, this kind of a situation might be the trigger for someone to have an initial episode of um, um, mental health crisis. And certainly, um, if someone is feeling overwhelmed or exceptionally anxious or panicky and becomes suicidal, um, reaching out to your primary care provider, um, getting uh, to emergency if you're feeling suicidal, that would be essential. Okay. Um, I'm sorry. We have some calls we have to leave on the line because we're out of time on this one. People, Free For All Friday is coming up, and uh, we may revisit the same subject tomorrow, so stay tuned. I'd like to thank Dr. Andrew Morris and Margot Cameron. Thank you so much. Very helpful. You're welcome. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.